Hey guys, it's Todd. Just want to let you know before you get going here that we are going to be at shop.org next month, September 12th through 14th in Las Vegas. We'll be at the podcast studio on the show floor. If you haven't registered yet, you can use code LISTENSHOP18 to get 20% off your registration. So go use it and we'll see you there. This is episode 53 of Brick and Data, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. We cover trending retail headlines, interview some of the biggest players, surface game changer technologies, and explore how retailers are surviving and thriving. Hello, everyone. My name is Todd Harris. And I'm Jose Chan. And welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data Podcast. Coming up in this episode. Casper, the friendly store. Old brands and new brands. Google's double-decker in Chicago. Weird news of the week. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. All right, here we go, Jose. How are you, man? Hey everyone, I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, uh, hey, let, let's get let's get into it here. Um, I, I mentioned in the in the pre-roll that we are going to be at shop.org, and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're both excited to get out to Las Vegas for a couple days because that's pretty much all I can handle anyway. Very much so. Agreed. Yeah. Las Vegas shop.org. It could be anywhere as long as it's shop.org. Right. Hey, let's get into uh, Casper the Friendly er, Store. Uh, Casper the Friendly Store. So what's going on with Casper here? I don't have a Casper mattress, Jose, uh, but a lot of people do, um, especially those millennials. Those <laughs> dead-gun millennials. Um, yeah. So so they, they are doing quite well. Uh, but and recently, um, the CEO, Philip Krim, told CNN Money that Casper is going to open 200 stores across the country in the next three years. That is a beast of a plan. That's Um, pretty incredible, actually. I mean, this is, uh, I think we're seeing a sea change right now, right? Not just for Casper, but a lot of companies that were purely uh, online are now making a foray into the physical space, right? And we've seen this time and time again, recurring theme in our podcast. And you're absolutely right. 200 stores in the next three years is pretty aggressive and i i think it's doable if it's done right um and it's a nice thing to do nowadays because everybody's talking about the apocalypse but uh there's an apocalypse for certain retailers (laughs) that are not getting on the bandwagon but others that are uh on point like casper for mattresses uh it's quite different and i agree i do not own a casper mattress but i've heard many people who do own casper mattresses rave about Casper well, you know what? I mean, Casper is doing something very simple here. It seems like they're following, not following. They're 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 keeping up with the trend of buying behaviors and what consumers are doing. And um, and I think it was Monday's uh, uh, Wineswigs Weekly so from Deborah Wineswig from uh, Corsite Research. She sure. sent out an interesting part to the newsletter where it had a chart in it, and it was about uh, it was called Click and Mortar, and it was from Statista. Uh, the data and its percent of, percentage of U.S. customers, consumers who shop via the following channels. And the channels are only offline, mostly offline, online and offline, mostly online and only online. To those that may be uninitiated, they may look at this and say, oh, it's got to be like 60 percent 
only online or, oh my God, it's got to be at least 40% only online. You know what? What's happening here is we've got a blend of online and offline that is the key to uh, to reaching consumers, is having a business model that spans both. Um, according to this data, only 5% of shoppers, of consumers, shop only online. Um, 11% are mostly online. So 16% total, mostly online or only online. Those that shop online and offline, 56%. And that's the vast majority of what the data holds here because only offline is 10%, mostly offline is 17%. The vast majority of consumers shop online and offline. And that's what Casper and, you know, what Warby Parker and uh, Everlane, Bonobos and Everlane, yeah, and Amazon and all those other guys that are going from pure online to opening stores and they're all doing it different ways. Uh, but, you know, I think that retailers have finally in the past year or so have realize that, hey, we've got to get our act together on both sides of the coin, regardless if they're purely online or if they're stores like Sears that are just, you know, falling off cliffs at this point because they have not mastered that online presence yet, or at least they haven't mastered that art of of, of manipulating their inventory to a point where they're not going to be drowning in, in debt or um, or loans. So this is interesting. I mean, I, I, you know, Casper, Casper opening stores, when I think of stores, um, and I don't know if this is mean, but the bottom of the barrel stores, I feel like are mattress stores. I would probably be least likely to go into one. But then again, you go there for a purpose, which is to sort of try one out. But how realistic is that trying out sure. in a store, right? Sure. But look, you can, you've called a spade a spade. I agree with you. I mean, if you think of, of it's not mean to say it's where the opportunity is, right? So we could think of it as a hat, a glass, um, half empty or half full and i think casper is the latter it, it's half full and they see the opportunity and this is where they've come in because to yeah. your point i mean what is the experience pre-casper let's say uh pre-2014 when they begin because they launched in 2014 of going into a store a mattress store that is or a mattress department anywhere right just right. To, and and how did and the mattress let's say industry has been infamously, let's say, known to create little variations in the mattresses so you can't compare prices. You couldn't compare prices, right? Mm -hmm. Like whereas mm -hmm. you can for articles that say of clothing or other products. I mean there's no standardization you start you're talking about, right? Is that Precisely. What you mean? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you could tweak a little thing here and there and then it's a different SKU and it's and so you could upcharge so much more for one mattress available, let's say in retailer A when compared to something so similar with a slight tweak at retailer B that might be less expensive and you don't really know the difference. Mm -hmm. that, that's been the, 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 the whole industry. That, that's one thing. Secondly, to, to add to what you're saying, um, the Satista um, information that you cited was spot on and that actually there was a McKinsey study done in the early noughts that showed the same thing. So before we call it omni-channel or whatever we want to call retailing today, the new name, it was called multi-channel. And they showed that the more distribution points that one had, the higher the likelihood of having a sale mm. and that you needed both online, offline. At that time, it was pre-tablet uh, and pre-mobile phone. They also included catalogs and any other type of, let's say, retail, let's say, type place location that that existed back then 
And so I, I think that that held true then, and that still holds true now. Different context, as you pointed out, but still very much, very much in line with what retailers should be doing. Yeah, completely agree. And and as a flip side to the coin here for for Casper, we have Mattress Firm, right? So they're they're you know, more well known. They've been around for a while. And they're doing the opposite at this point. Instead of opening stores, they're closing stores. They've closed 200 stores in 2018. So they're, they're pulling back. Uh, perhaps, perhaps they are reevaluating their model, whereas Casper is using, using stores as a way to scale. Right? They, they need to be able to scale, and especially for the type of product that they have. And this is a common thing for all of these online retailers that we talked about, is how are they going to scale? And many of them have realized that that stores are an advantage to that. Now, there's a whole layer of complex. You know, Jose, there's a whole layer, multitude of layers of complexity of having stores. I mean, now they've got all these other distribution points, all these other inventory points. You know, how how are they sure that they're truly, you know, personalizing the experience, making sure that they're putting the right type of product in the right stores? You know, how are they sure that they're opening the right stores in the right locations and that maybe they shouldn't just have a warehouse in a location and just make it closer to the customer and just ship from there, right? So there's a lot of, uh, I think, trial and error that they're going to go through. And, you know, if they really open these 200 stores over the next three years, that's so aggressive. And, I mean, do you think they're going to do that? Like, Do you think they're actually going to reach that number, Jose? Uh, Hard to say, right? I mean, uh, I think they'll get close. They may – it depends on – there's a couple of factors, right? It, remember, goals are malleable and are fungible and can change given business circumstances. So let's say that they have uh, incredible success with the first few and they could tweak the model quickly. Yeah. Then, uh, you know, I mean, for, from an innovation standpoint, then they could scale uh, if the customers respond, which I think they will, right? If you think of Mattress Firm, to your point, closing, it's only one of many competitors, Um if they're closing, I think that the number was they're, they're closing a couple of thousand locations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're in 48 states. Um, they were founded in 1986, Mattress Firm. So, I mean, that they're the incumbent. So, I think that if they close enough stores uh, with proper data and new thinking, Casper could easily open up in places where there's fertile territory to open up a new location. And... Uh, to your earlier point, think about the experience. The, if they're able to nail the experience right, and it doesn't feel like that, you know, as you mentioned, um, not very <laughs> inspiring experience currently at old school mattress stores, yeah. uh, and they're able to create something different. Well, you know what? Then I think that they could easily achieve that. But there, there, there's a lot of factors. So the bottom line is. Uh, it's feasible, but let, let, let's see what, what actually happens. I, I think it's probably feasible. So yeah. I, I think they have a good chance of doing it. Well, this whole thing kind of blends nicely into the next topic for us, which was talking about uh, that dichotomy between old brands and new brands. And we've got that example with, you know, with the mattress stores there, looking at Casper and looking, um, looking at Warby Parker and some of those which have been the flip, the flip sides of old brands and new brands. And the angle that they're taking to either adopt new technologies quicker or to, you know, look at how they're uh, evaluating their assortments or their product development or their innovations and all of that to take different angles on competing and knocking out the old school guys. So 
you know, reflecting back, Jose, I mean, this is this is probably prime time type content for you here, meaning like, you know, looking back at at some of those old brands that we know from the early 2000s, perhaps, that uh, were in the midst of the dot-com boom and they were leading up to that, you know, crash in the late 2000s and had multitude of, of challenges uh, either adopting new te- technologies, new processes, or keeping up with the consumer. And that was that was that kind of manifested itself through either you know too much of a focus on product or not enough focus on product, too much of a focus on technology, not enough focus on technology. They didn't strike the balance that they needed to, and it's always easier looking back at it to say, hey, you know, they did this or this. But there's some interesting concepts when when you look at brands, um, like you you have you have brought up before on podcast episodes that we've done. You know, talking about J. Crew, the change in leadership there, and the way that they're maybe going about a you know having a new new regime on on how they look at their product and how they uh, change their assortment, and you know, same with Ralph Lauren and looking at technology stores like Best Buy, Amazon, Circuit City, from way back. So there's so much that can go right and so much that can go wrong, and it's such a fine, subtle gray zone of <laughs> error zone that can totally bury. A retailer, and we've seen it. You know, you've seen it with J. Crew, you've seen it with Circuit City, and and some of the others that have made the wrong. And we just talked about Mattress Firm; they made the wrong decisions. Obviously, whatever those were for them, they accumulated a lot of debt. Who the hell knows what it was? And we haven't dug into it. But the bottom line is that they are losing to a new breed, and there's many of those old school retailers that are losing to new breeds. And in technology, poster child of doing it right is Best Buy. We talk about this all the time. They were almost on the brink of disaster when it came sure. to Amazon eating their lunch after after Best Buy won that initial first, you know, uh, I guess you could say pre-title fight against Circuit City in the mid-2000s where they just cleaned house with Circuit City and Circuit City fell by the wayside in 2008, 2009. And then Best, Best Buy was living large for a while until there sure. again there was another change with Amazon and Amazon came around and had a whole new business model and put Best Buy back on the ropes. So and now Best Buy is doing incredibly well. So we're seeing this across industries, right? And uh, from yeah. a from a from a from a clothing apparel accessories perspective, this is the same exact thing that's that's happening over and over again, I feel like, not just once every decade, but it seems like it's every six months. <laughs> you know, You've, absolutely, and, and and I mean, and in what you're saying is that there are a couple of things that that are going on here, right? right. And I think often um, we talk about technology. So let's look at the macro trends, right? We, we we say often, look, what's changed in retail are the macro trends, which are the demographics, right? We always talk about millennials because let's face it, after all, they are the largest segment of the population in concrete numbers next to the baby boomers. Uh, Gen X is sandwiched in between and is smaller than either one of them independently. That's one piece. So it's demographics. Then we have the consumer shopping habits, right, that have changed because of number three, Technology. So those are the three things that I would say are, are moving the needle on all of these things. However, today, retailers are often talking about, as you pointed out, technology. And technology being a magic bullet, whether it's machine learning, whether it's AR, whether it's VR, whether it's VUI, voice user interface, Alexa, dot, 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 chatbots, dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot. A mixture of these three, or many other technologies, if you will, and they're looking. Retailers are looking for a magic bullet, but the truth is, there is no magic bullet 
if you don't have the right product or you don't have the right visionary, I will, I will say this, the right visionary management in place to enact change the way it should be. Because we're under, I think, as retailers, we're in a time period where it's about change management more so than just holding a steady ship, which is what a normal CEO would do during normal times. And I don't think we're in normal times, which is why we're seeing a lot of this, uh, let's say, resurgence of, of new brands taking over, like, as we said, Casper opening up retail stores, unheard of, right, yeah. in 2014. But now, wow, that that's very feasible. Or other companies like that were like Bandier, right, opening up stores, which is a woman's high-end athletic athleisure company. I was going to say, I've never heard of them. Yeah, they, they have a store here on uh, Fifth Avenue in the Flatiron District in New York. And I believe they're opening up other stores. Um, and there are other companies like this, right, that are starting to experiment. Glossier, which was once a magazine called Glossy, mm -hmm. still exists, opening up pop-up shops and experimenting with new ways. And I think eventually they're going to open up stores as well. It's because let's look at the model. You don't have enough retail uh, or let's say wholesale avenues to sell your products in. So let's say about 10 years ago, companies and brands started to take control of the distribution channels uh, by opening up their own stores. It's expensive, as you've said, but it's the only way to ensure that your brand image and your, let's say, pricing and everything is intact uh, from, a, from a brand standpoint. Yeah, there's there's definitely challenges, and um, you know, seeing some of that, seeing some of the movement with some of these brands and the the the, the regular challenges and dangers that they have quarter over quarter, um, especially those that are public reporting their earnings and you know trying to provide path forward to analysts and to shareholders that hey they're making the right decisions and that's where they, you know maybe these you know glossy and those types of organizations which are smaller more agile they have the ability to just kind of hey let's we're going to do this we're going to do this we're going to open stores here we're going to try this and whereas you've got an old school brand which has lots more people to appease right yes exactly so that's, that's challenging too for them exactly and to your point think of ralph lauren right yeah. I, I love ralph lauren so uh, i'll we know this on, the, on the record you we'll love say ralph this. lauren like i love best buy <laughs> 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 there we go but as much as i love them um, there aren't enough customers that are giving them the same love I am, right? So mm -hmm. what's happened to them? Their product has gotten a little stayed over the years, right? For, forget the tech, forget the inventory, forget the normal issues. It's just the product. I mean, so you have companies like Bonobos, Vineyard Vines, Everlane, Untucket, right? Taking away market share that they once had. So what was... This is like a premier men's brand. The, this company actually invented marketing the way we know it today for the apparel industry, right? This lifestyle marketing was invented actually and bought to the um, public in the U.S. by Ralph Lauren, uh, the company mm -hmm. and the person who's mm -hmm. still the namesake designer. So I think that there what happens is it, what made you successful in the past will not always make you successful in the future and you kind of have to constantly evolve which is the story of retail in general. We always have to evolve. 
But now you have to incorporate technology. If you think about, let, let's go back to this Casper mattress firm um, idea. If mattress firm is founded in 1986, Casper is founded in 2014, as you said, there isn't any baggage for Casper to expand, right? They could create a mattress that could fold out, which is unheard of, <laughs> right? Uh, and could be shipped by mail, which is unheard of, or even shipped by hand. Yep. Doesn't arrive in a, in a, in a box truck where some two, two dudes have to bring it in your house. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and so to, to, what, what we need now is experience, right? So we talk about the customer experience. And what I'm getting at is, uh, I think what we're getting at, you and I, is that you don't always need technology. I mean, look, it, it's given that you'll need some sort of technology. Um, you're, you know, we're not Luddites in the industry. But at the same time, you need to have the experience, right? Well, wouldn't it be cool to walk into a mattress store? You could have an espresso, your chai latte, whatever you like. You want tea? It's there. There's a barista. There's music. Um, there is someone telling you about the mattress. There's maybe some sort of uh, add-on, uh, let's say, um, app that you could use to maybe see how a mattress would fit at home and how you could mm -hmm. reconfigure things. I'm just making this up on the fly, to, to your point. Because right. nobody wants that, that old-school experience where it's uh, not fun. <laughs> No, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Um, so, I mean, I think what we're talking about there is, is uh, you know, if you look at Circuit City, when they existed, technology wasn't at all where it is now. And mm -hmm. so there are advantages that some of these new brands have. And, um, you know, it's, it's up to them to be able to properly modify and adopt these new technologies and new, new means of, of doing business and new business models in general. And that's, you know, like you were saying, that's where these, these new, these new retailers have advantages because they're already, they built their business based on these new practices. And <clears throat> it's a tough position to be in for Ralph Lauren, for circuit or for, um, well, yeah, for circuit city back in the day. And now they've got the advantage perhaps because they are going to come back and be a very different, different company than they were before. But Hey, uh, where they've got that brand name, they've got that brand name, and that may not be a good thing. We'll just leave that at that. Um, so let's move on. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, Google in, in our third topic here. Uh, they're double decker in Chicago. So Jose, you're you're sort of a Chicagoite. In yeah, what do you call it? Chicagoan, Chicagoite, Chicagoan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's so. Tell us what's going on here with Google. For uh, first of all, I'm a I'm a big Google user. I mean, there's always people that are either Google or Apple, and um, I'm kind of a blend, but definitely more Google. It's my phone. That's my infrastructure. That's what I you know. It's that's what I hang my hat on. So I'm excited to see this because I would love to have a tangible Google store I could walk into and you know check out the new Pixel phones and you know check out the you know, the, the latest voice activated devices, the cases, the whatever it might be to give it more of a, uh, of, of a store feel to it and a hands-on feel to it. So this is exciting. I don't know how soon it's going to be till they come to Boston or whatever, but it looks like there's something happening in Chicago with stores and Google. Yeah. 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 And if you, if you think about it, look, this plays nicely into what we've been talking throughout this whole, uh, podcast, which is this theme of, of moving, uh, towards something that's, more physical, right? Uh, and so if you think of Google, they're not that different than Amazon, right? Amazon, another competitor, is moving in, in certain ways, not 
you know, directly, but it's a tech company, if you will, moving the Whole Foods way, right? So Google is opening up a two-level store in Chicago's Fulton Market District, which is effectively, for those of you that know New York City, it is similar to the meatpacking district, except that the Fulton Market District was their part of their meatpacking district, but this is kind of like the meatpacking district at the beginning. Uh, so it's a prime time for them to open up a retail flagship. There is a lot of tech headquarters. There are a couple of headquarters opening up in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's what? The lease, they, they're close to finding a lease of almost 14,000 square feet. Uh, quite quite a bit of square footage uh, on two-story brick buildings um, that are on 845 and 853 West Randolph Street, and that's according to some sources. So I think that that's that they're making the right bet in the right place because that's a place that's un- undergoing rejuvenation. And as we're saying, they need, to your point, it would be a great place to see the products that they have, right? Where, where right now, I think most of the people listening to the podcast have a Gmail. <laughs> so we're somehow, even if um, we're not buying physical products from uh Google, in a way, we're, I wouldn't say customers, but we're involved mm-hmm. with, with, with Google in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, and it seems like the area that this Fulton Market area, like you're saying, is is the area where new things birth themselves, sort of, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. where kind of brands or new, yeah. not brands, but um, for example, uh, I think you're saying, you know, McDonald's has a new headquarters there. There's um, uh, Amazon Go stores are going to be, you know, uh, popping up there or at least one will be popping up there so maybe it's like a a test ground right yeah a nice little test ground yeah exactly and it's a good test ground right because you're you're in the heartland uh it has a lot of trendy restaurants uh, a lot of nightlife it's like you know any any city whoever's listening to us on this podcast think of whatever the trendiest place is in your own hometown city that is exactly what this fulton market is like nice Sounds fun. Maybe a little too trendy for me, but it sounds fun. Ah, Todd, come on. You could fit in there. We could fit in there. All right. All right. I like it. I'm looking at a picture right now, but it looks nice. It looks yeah. very, very warehousey. Not warehousey. Uh, uh, like, like it was Like it was maybe, um, yeah, I guess maybe there was a lot of, uh, of, of warehouses there, and then they redid it. Yeah, there, there were a lot of war- warehouses. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely right. There were a lot of warehouses and literally <laughs> meatpacking. So when you think of Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, um, reference that's obscure, um, we'll leave it at that. You think of that district. Cool. Well, that's exciting. I want him to come to Boston because I'd like to go to a Google store. So please come to Boston <laughs> just for me. Come to Chicago. Come to Chicago. Or I'll go to Chicago. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> On the way to Vegas. Yes. There you go. Make a quick stop. Oh man! Well, that was quick. Hey, let's let's uh, before we wrap things up, let's talk weird news of the week. And um, this this is cool because every other weird news it seems like we've had has been about shoes or something. It's been like weird shoe designs or just so easy to you know. Right. It's just so simple, so easy. But, but um, full disclosure, the yeah. Brick and Data Pass uh, cast has nothing against shoes. No, but these were very weird shoes. And (laughs) I have a lot against those weird shoes. They're extremely weird. They're uncalled for. Anyway, if you're curious about those, look in some previous episodes. You can see pictures of them in the show notes at uh, at, on our website. So, um, (laughs) 
<laughs> so, so this week is is just is totally weird, and and I gotta thank Retail Dive for for this one here. As I was digging around looking for something bizarre, and um, and I may not be able to unsee this now that I've seen it, and may you won't either. And I'm gonna put a nice picture of it in the show notes on BrickDataCast.com, and you can see for yourself. So, uh, a company called Ask. <laughs> ASOS. Yeah, that's nice, Todd. Uh, ASOS has released a crop top for men. Should I just stop there? A crop top would... for men that looks like a poorly made sports bra. Uh, I would agree with that. But it's got no, uh, so a sports bra with no support, and it's for guys. And it's all while leaving the old belly exposed. So I'm just picturing this one, like, and, and then the model that's that's wearing it, and you're like, he's got sunglasses on, he's got sunglasses on. Of course, I'd have a bag over my head if I was wearing it. It's because, I mean, <laughs> I would never want to be caught dead wearing it, but um, it's, it's it's awful. It's it's like they took a, a a a tank top and cut it underneath the chest area, and like pulled it, so it's kind of like freight, not frayed out, but it's like, oh, it's just it's awful. So. <laughs> So that's what's happening with ASOS. Um, I've never heard of ASOS. Why? Why is it ASOS? Who are? Who's ASOS? Do you know who they are? Yes, I do. Am I, is it bad that I don't know who they are? Well, they're Should mostly. It, it may might be. Um, well, they're, they're they're from Europe, right? So okay. they're online, and they sell a lot of fashion. They've been very popular with millennials in the U.S. And I actually do, I actually, interesting enough, I use a Harvard Business School case study in my retailing class at Parsons where we actually study ASOS. Hmm. Okay. It, it, it's an interesting company. It, it has a pretty good model. It's, um, we'll leave it at that. Do you think they created this for, just because they, they could? Or do think this was a truly designed, because there's demand for it? Do you think they did it just for press? Uh, Probably they actually designed it for real they, really there's use. probably some trend that I don't know mm-hmm. uh, about. Or, well, you would never wear this, Jose. I mean, I, I would, you know, don't don't even think about it when we're in Vegas. I don't want to see you bopping around in this thing. <laughs> At least don't I, wear it on the show floor, okay? You do what you do after, I'd, but. I'd scare you. I'd scare me. I'd scare everybody else. <laughs> I'm picturing I don't think you I'd... in this right now. And... <laughs> yeah. No, not, not me. I, I, I actually, before doing. I'm picturing before... me in this right now and I'm laughing. Oh, no. Oh, this is great. I, I'd probably go topless before I, I wear this, but at a pool, well, of course. It's just horrible. It's a horrible, horrible thing. I'm sorry, ASOS. It's horrible. Um, but hey, if you want your own, this it's called Reclaimed Vintage Inspired Extreme Cropped Vest, and it's in white, and it sells for about thirteen dollars. But it's only on the company's <clears throat> excuse me, only on the company's UK site. Um, <laughs> and uh, they said uh, either because there's more demand, this is what uh, the retail dive said, either because there's more demand for shrunken men's tank tops in the UK or because British consumers are more tolerant of bad products. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, well. I, it, it, this is a flash in the pan, I oh, hope. God, I hope, I hope uh, ASOS is not at shop.org and they find us and I don't know. Anyway, okay. Well, if they are... I guess we'll talk to you then. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, Mugatu is going to come after Mugatu, us. Mugatu, yes. Yes, the best. That extreme cropped vest in white is so hot right now. <laughs> 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 okay. Well, hey, everyone, that's the show. Thanks for listening. 
If you have questions, comments, feedback, you can email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, wherever else you eat your favorite podcasts. And uh, until next time, take care. And Jose, thanks. We'll uh, Thank hopefully you. We'll talk to you soon, man. Take care. Absolutely. Take care, everyone.